Welcome to the She Shall Speak series. I'm your host, Denia Smith. In honor of Black History Month and Women's History Month, we are starting our Her Story series. Her Story aims to amplify the narratives of young Black women and girls who are catalyzing change in their communities. Our goal is to celebrate the strides of these young trailblazers and use their stories to inspire others to become a force of positive social change. My first guest is Madison Garrett, a 17-year-old changemaker from New York, passionate about using her voice to create an impact for those who are underserved and unheard. Madison, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Hi, listeners. <laughs> I'm Madison Garrett, and I'm a 17-year-old changemaker within New York City. My passions range from Black mental health to simply immigration rights, and I'm absolutely honored to be the first guest on this series. Thank you so much, Madison. That was phenomenal. For a post- personal note for our audience, I met Madison at a program through Columbia called the High School Law Institute. So, so much fun meeting you there. And afterward, I was like, this girl needs to be on the podcast. She's literally a girl boss. So I'm super honored to be in your presence here today and to really kick off our conversation. So I know you mentioned a couple of things that you're passionate about. So would you be able to talk about those passions a little bit more and how you really started to explore them? Absolutely, I can. So first and foremost, I have been a mental health advocate for a long time. (laughs) So I'm a Girl Scout, and one of the Girl Scout components is a Girl Scout Gold Award, which is where you dedicate 80 hours of service to raising awareness to an issue within the world. And as the pandemic hit our world and we were plagued with such sadness from concerts being shut down to simply having loved ones dying, I knew people's mental health were deteriorating and I needed to do something to fix that. So I sat down and I decided I'm gonna send him my go to word around mental health. But most especially, even pre-pandemic, I was aware of a suicide statistic. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if you're aware, Dania, but the mental health for black adolescents is decreasing. Mm-hmm. And the suicide rate for Black adolescents is rising at an exponential rate. And it's extremely alarming how a lot of local news channels will not cover this news. Absolutely. Because it's unimportant or they just deem it something that doesn't isn't relevant to them because it's not their people or not mm-hmm. someone who's around them. So I knew I needed to start the conversation about Black mental health. And then, of course, as we had George Floyd taking mm-hmm. place and then we had remote learning and how remote learning in low-income schools It wasn't fair for some kid in a school with a terrible tax district to not have access to a laptop and then remote learning is going on. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we understand how black and brown families were affected by the pandemic and trying to go to work and they're essential workers and they're losing their life over their work. It was just so much happening within minority communities and especially the mental health of minority communities that I just knew I needed to take action and I decided to advocate for mental health. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And that definitely resonated with me as someone who was definitely having mental challenges during the pandemic with anxiety and depression. It's definitely such a pertinent topic that definitely felt throughout the Black community. And unfortunately, something that mainstream media just simply doesn't address. And I think this just shows the importance of having passion. You know, you didn't have all these immense criteria or that resume at first. You just had that passion. And that was a driving force that allowed you to catalyze change. So let's talk about your gold award project. So you have this immense passion for mental health. You saw all these inequities happening in society. You just knew you had to do something. So what was that something that you accomplished? I accomplished a lot of some things in little spans of time. 
So first, even pre-pandemic, I knew I wanted to tackle something about the rising suicide rate. Because of course, when you look on social media, you see so many young kids who are depressed. You see so many TikTok posts or Instagram posts about kids who are facing depression, or they say they just don't want to be here. They're like, everyone will be better without them. And it's alarming how everyone just so casually posts about their depression and there's nothing being done. Mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to take action centering the Black adolescent suicide rate rising. So I dedicated a research project to that. Mm -hmm. And I was involved in a Girl Scout program called Leadership Institute. And I had a research project and I created a presentation and a video and I won first place. <laughs> Yay, congrats. And that was the start to my go to work. So then as soon as the go to work took place, I decided to start a club within my school. And my school has a predominantly Caucasian population. So to start a majority if not all black club called the afro-caribbean club which it involves those from the caribbean those from the african diaspora just those all around black americans anyone who identifies as black or within the caribbean realm they are invited to my club and that's where it really started i got the opportunity to speak out and i think a lot of times people underestimate starting change within their community, like a small mm -hmm. community. People say, who cares if I talk to the person next to me about what's going on? But it's so vital to talk to people because then you get to tell the next person and the next person about the issue that you care about. So that was my first step. And then secondly, I wrote an article. I wrote two art articles actually for a all black newspaper, historically black newspaper based in New York City called the New York Beacon. And I wrote my first article, it was published in August of 2020, and that centered around the trials and tribulations of being a young Black woman in America. So it spoke about how oftentimes Black comedians will ridicule Black women and dress up as Black women, put on wigs and make fun of us. I spoke about how representation lacks severely. I just highlighted the issues of being a Black woman. And then nextly, I spoke about the suicide rate rising. So I had two published articles in the New York Beacon. And then I also, the, and then I had a blog. I spoke to the little Girl Scouts of my Girl Scout troop. I told them how beautiful they are, how beautiful yes. their apples are. I told the little Black girls about the importance of self-esteem and taking a deep breath. And then I did some yoga with them, of course. Yes, love yoga. <laughs> and then I had the most, the major component was the seminar that I had. Mm -hmm. So I had a seminar and I had a Dr. Audrey Seely. She's a nurse practitioner who specializes in mental health crises. And then I had a representative from our now our mayor, our then Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams, a representative of his came to speak. And I just had all ages come to my seminar and we had a presentation on anxiety and depression. And then we had an open conversation where parents said how they now understand what Black teenagers go through. I had Black teenagers speak about the troubles that they go through that no one really understands. And then I had older generations speak about how mental health is now destigmatized from this seminar. So it was just a great conversation. It was a great informational session. And that was some of my good world. That's literally fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think based upon that, you know, what was the driving factor that got you involved in Girl Scouts? Did you find out from your mom, from a family member, a friend? Girl Scouts actually started when I was eight and it started in my church basement. <laughs> and I 
was not aware of it. My, of course, I was eight years old. So, and that's the thing. A lot of times in urban communities, we're not aware of the opportunities around us, or they're just not normalized to participate in extracurricular activities if it's not basketball or rapping or something, right? So I wasn't aware of Girl Scouts other than the televised version of some girls selling cookies. But my mom introduced me to it, and I've been a part of it since. And it really has changed my life only for the better. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. And within all the work that you were doing in Girl Scouts, you know, it all sounds phenomenal. And I just want to clap for you and say thank you for your work and thank you for catalyzing this much needed change. But, you know, how were you able to balance all that with being a student, the phenomenal one that you are, considering that you were admitted into Columbia University <laughs> and with your advocacy endeavors? So how was that work-life balance? I'm still learning how to maintain a work-life balance. I will say it was absolutely easier during the pandemic. We were at home mm -hmm. a lot of the time. So I would just sign off a class and then sign right on to Google Docs and write something up. But now it's, of course, it's harder with travel time and there's a lot more commitments. But I will say balance is important. And again, I know you stressed it, but I just need to emphasize passion. Mm -hmm. You can't dedicate a, your time to an issue and not deeply care about it. Exactly. You have to really, really care about the message that you're spreading. And I really, really care about the mental health of everyone around me, especially, especially, especially as mental health is such a stigmatized topic within our culture. I just knew something needed to be done but it needed to be done with the maintain of work in school. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And one last thing I do have about Girl Scouts before we move on to another sector of your work is that you mentioned that you hosted a seminar when you brought in different community stakeholders revolving the topic of mental health. For young girls or other leaders out there who want to plan a similar event, what advice would you give to contacting stakeholders or trying to find a venue in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic to host such an event? I will say a great addition to the pandemic, one of the very few, is that we do have virtual meetings. Absolutely. So <laughs> it's a lot easier to have everyone comfortably sitting in their kitchen, sitting in their bedrooms, speaking on a computer, opposed to trying to gather 50 people inside a building. So if you do want to host a seminar, I will say it's really good to do it on, um, online. But if you are feeling very, 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 very ambitious and you like to hold it in an in-person venue, you just have to really shoot your shot. And that's what I, that was the technique that I used when I was contacting local politicians. I just wrote emails. I had calls. There was just a lot, a lot, a lot of dry response to no response <laughs> until I found the person who was finally willing to listen. And also I will say, if you do want to host a seminar and you do want a politician or prominent figure to speak or to um, promote your event, I think a really good tip will be to have a politician who's running. So for instance, Eric Adams, he was running for mayor. And so representative his came to speak and then it reflected on him excellently if he's speaking at an event for Black mental health. Mm -hmm. So that is a little tip. But <laughs> for anyone who wants to parallel my seminar and just really emphasize community issues that are not spoken about, just really have to shoot your shot and don't be afraid. A no is better than not knowing at all. Absolutely, of course. Thank you so much for that. Moving on to the next thing, you know, you are a Black girl in leadership, and with coming a Black girl does come the experiences of misogynoir, where racial and gender biases intersect. So I did right. want to know out of curiosity if you experienced those biases either within leadership or in your personal life, and how are you able to overcome them? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Every day, you 
comb your hair and put your clothes on, you can expect to experience at least a little bit of that. Um, and learning to overcome it, you really, it, and it's it's not fair, right? It, mm-hmm. it, a prejudice is not fair, that it's an injustice. You can't do anything about it. But you really have to learn how to conduct yourself in professional settings. And mm-hmm. I've learned to understand that if someone is angry or if someone is upset or spiteful or bitter, it's really a reflection of them. It has nothing to do with you at all. So to deal with misogynoir, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I just keep it moving, you know, and we have so many great black female leaders who've pushed past it and they can only inspire us how to deal with it. Michelle Obama says when they go low, we go what, Denia? We go high. <laughs> we go all the way up to the sky. I know that's right. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for that. And literally just echoing your words, you know, as someone who's attended a predominantly white institution throughout all of high school, it's evident that you're going to encounter those people who are just purposely spiteful, purposely just being racist or ignorant, trying to interrupt your day. And I'm the type of person where if I encounter those types of biases, I'm ready to tear the system down. I'm ready to protest, (laughs) march, do whatever I can, try to make this change happen. But other times you really just have to conceal your peace. It's a matter of showing up at the spaces every day, knowing that you're going to do the work that needs to get done and be successful, no matter what comes across your path. So pretty much echoing what you say, I completely agree. Sometimes you just got to, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Well, not take it with a grain of salt, but, you know, see it, acknowledge it, and then keep it moving. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Because you're only paving the way for the Black girls in your school who are going to do maybe five times, 10 times, or maybe even less better. But as long as you're making a difference and you might just keep it pushing and not have not create any harmful stereotypes, then that's only that matters for our future generations. Absolutely. And definitely don't mean to diminish those experiences because I know that they could definitely be harmful. It could definitely have like a mental impact. But right. definitely one of the most important things is to know that other people's perception of you should not tamper your perception of yourself. To all the little Black girls out there, you are magical, wonderful, beautiful, smart, intelligent. Do not be afraid to speak up. Exactly. Don't let anything get in the way of you changing the world. We have it in us. We've always had it in us. So keep being great. Who cares what they say? (laughs) Exactly. And speaking of greatness, let's talk about college. Girl, (laughs) When I found out you got to Columbia, I was screaming. I was so happy. It was amazing. What was your reaction? I was definitely shocked. Um, There were a little hints, not hints, but I was my, even my guidance counselor, she said, if you don't get in, then it wasn't meant to be. Mm -hmm. Cause I will, of course you're doubtful at first, especially coming from a Catholic high school. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the times people in my high school do not go to top 20 colleges, do not go to top 10 colleges, right? Very seldom. So I was very, 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 very nervous. But I think a good indicator was my interview and my interviewer, we connected, but also you have to trust in God. Yes. <laughs> trust in yourself. And you have to understand that I'm great. I put 100% into, and not even to reference to college, but anything in your life. I put 100% to what I do. So if I don't get this job, if I don't get this IV acceptance, I'm that doesn't din- diminish my greatness. And that doesn't diminish the plan that God has for me. I know that's so, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was nervous, but you have to let go and trust God. So mm-hmm. that was definitely my belief. Absolutely. And you know, since we are in February approaching March, 
And a lot of people out there are approaching that process of receiving decisions, getting accepted, rejected, waitlisted. What advice do you have for people as they consider their options regarding colleges and try to pan out their future? If you are extremely, extremely, extremely in distraught about not getting accepted into your dream college, you have to acknowledge the fact that it will all be okay. Where you end up at college does not equate to your success in life. So don't even fret about that. And if you're weightless, just you really have, and I know a lot of times people who are religious can look to God for faith or if someone's not religious, they might feel hopeless. But you have to understand that it really does all work out in the ending. And if it's not all right, then it's not the ending yet. So don't fret. Absolutely. And on the topic of faith, I'm assuming that's something that's definitely a support system in your life. Or when things go rough or things are hard, you turn towards that? Yes, it, it honestly, it helps me a lot. Because if I'm going through a tough time, for instance, I, I really try to think about what God is preparing me for in the future. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes in my life, I've gone through things and it's like, wh why me? You know, mm -hmm. everyone has asked like, why, why is this happening to me? But it only prepares you for the success that will happen years down the line. So I really, really look to God and I believe in him. And I just know that he ultimately has an excellent path and a purpose for each one of us. So if you're worried about college decisions, do not worry at all. Everything works out in the ending. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And are there any people in your life in particular that have served as mentors or people that have helped you amidst trials and tribulations? I think there's been a bunch of people <laughs> and I'm, I'm very close to my mother, of course. So I've never had a set mentor, but I've had little mentors over time, but you know, a main mentor is yeah. my mother. And then I just look to advice from my family, right? My stepfather, my grandparents, my aunt, they've all just guided me and they've only guided me to the best path. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And what advice would you have for young Black girls who are in need of that mentorship or in need of someone who can help guide them through paths? I would say this is where joining an organization is especially important mm -hmm. and not even for joining an organization because it looks good on your resume or joining an organization because you make a tons of connections and networking, but join an organization that you're passionate about because more times than not, you'll find someone who you can look up to and someone who can help you along the way and guide you if you cannot find a mentor and a familial connection. So I think absolutely joining an organization and finding, uh, let's say, a president of a company who you can reach out to in an email and say, would you be my mentor? Or going on LinkedIn and finding someone who studies what you like. Just finding someone with a similar connection. Even a background is especially important because as humans, we look for connections. So if you reach to someone who's a first-generation low-income and you're a first-generation low-income, more times than not, they'll respond to you because they understand the tribulations of rising success. So absolutely seek out those connections, but also try to join organizations. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So as a quick recap, you know, we talked about your past growing up in New York City, seeing all of these inequities regarding the experiences that Black teens are going through. We have your future with your project for your gold award with, Girl, with the Girl Scouts and how you're able to make such an immense impact and helping others to acknowledge the experiences that Black teens are going through. And I also saw that you're the president of the National Council of Negro Women, which literally sounds phenomenal. So would you be able to talk a little bit more about that? 
Absolutely. And that's a part of the connections I was referencing earlier. So I've joined the National Council of Negro Women in eighth grade. I'm now in 12th grade. And I've risen from vice president to president. And it's really a service organization that gives back to our community. Mm-hmm. So we've done service projects. So for instance, we had an annual Mother's Day brunch. Mm-hmm. So for two years in a row, we've had a Mother's Day brunch where we invited once domestically abused mothers and we gave them gift cards and breakfast. And they've just had a safe haven for the mothers that they are, especially raising children within a homeless shelter. And then we've also had a gift back where we had a Mother's Day gift back again when we had the pandemic. We've had a Superhero Day gift back where we give toys to the children in SUNY Downstate Hospital. And then we've had like a movie day for children in the community with refreshments in East New York. We really try to emphasize giving back to those in low income or in really bad situations because that's what service is all about, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I absolutely love that focus focus on community service. And thank you so much for sharing. And I just want to talk about something that you brought up at the beginning is when you said that you've been in this organization since eighth grade, you're now a senior in high school. And I think that stresses the importance of continuity and everything that you do. I feel as though in our society today, a lot of people expect to join an organization and like escalate the ranks quickly and do all of these projects and service events quickly to help their community. And it's so important to reap and then sow, and then wait before the harvest, right? All of this work that you're doing, it comes with years and putting in hours of work and passion and dedication all to get to the point that you're at today, which I think for those of, for our leaders out there who are putting in that work, but aren't seeing the results or unsure of their impact, know that change takes time. And that with time, you will be able to see that impact. You will be able to help others. So thank you so much, Madison. Right. And I do want to say it does take time to echo what you said. So, for instance, when I was I've I've completed my go to work, but when I was working on it, I I spoke to anyone I could. Right. I spoke to about Mm -hmm. 40 people at my seminar and then I ended up becoming Girl Scouts 2020 and Future Woman of Distinction. Then I got the chance to emphasize my message on mental health on live TV on several different news stations. So I think it's very, very, very important to understand that change takes time and you have to speak to those around you. And then your message will later carry on to a broadcast of thousands of hundreds of thousands. Absolutely. And speaking of, you know, your continued goals and success, what does the future look like for you in terms of your advocacy or your academia or career? That is a great question. I'm just laying out. I just texted in my family group chat. I think I want to be a neurologist. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm absolutely still figuring out what I love. But I do know that one thing I really, 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 really want to do is just make a difference. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've been struggling with different outlets. So for instance, after I completed my goal to work and I received the certificate and had a big hurrah, I still knew I wanted to continue my message of Black mental health. Mm-hmm. So I created a film. Yeah. I joined the film program and I created a documentary on Black adolescent mental health. And I went to the depths of the history of Black mental health from when we were traumatized by slavery to the effects on segregation on Black adolescent mental health to now Black kids every day on the news seeing shootings of Breonna Taylor, mm-hmm. things like that. Just how historically mental health has impacted. Mental health has had a terrible, terrible, terrible run in the Black community as a result mm-hmm. of the events we've been in. 
And so then also in my documentary, I spoke to Black adolescents around me who've committed to, or who've attempted to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And again, I just wanted to emphasize how these people are not seen and we don't speak about mental health in the Black community. So I say all that to say that I do like film <laughs> and I like the... I like the ability that film has to give a message, to give a visual message. You know, people watch a movie, we watch Black Panther, and guess we saw it about superheroes, but we saw the beauty of dark-skinned Black women, mm -hmm. and we saw Black love, and we saw so much in Black Panther, Black power, and we saw Killmonger speak about how he would rather die in the sea than be in captivity. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. Films have the ability to just give a message. So I might want to become a filmmaker. I might want to become <laughs> a director, a screenwriter. Um, I wrote a couple of plays um from my school I was given the opportunity to write a play opportunity mm. to be given to a faculty member so I write I really like writing plays uh <laughs> I'm really all over the place um I love politics I love government mm. I, there's just so many ways you can implement change in your community you mm -hmm. can write a film and you can produce a film like Ava DuVernay about Central Park Five right yeah share that message mm -hmm. you can write a play a raisin in the sun like Lauren Hansberry your fences by August Wilson and have your message about black excellence be spoken through that you can be a politician and sign a legislation that allows black children to have high literacy rates or have clean water in their neighborhoods you can be a lawyer and have change <laughs> if you speak to juveniles who are mistreated within the prison system and who are literally a product of their environment but the environment is created by politicians you there's so many ways you can create change absolutely so, <laughs> i'm really struggling with what i want to do but i just know i want to make a difference in the lives of those around me and then even as a journalist as i do have a lot of journalistic ambitions you then get the chance to expose all these truths that are just so misfortunate <laughs> so i say i really don't know what i want to do but i just know that i want to make a difference i love that the possibilities are endless and, they, like, and it's so stressful there's so many uh, occupational options <laughs> how are you supposed to choose which one literally but you know Whichever you decide to choose with your passion and your ambition, you're going to be successful no matter where you end up. Thank so you. just take that and you're just going to do great. <laughs> I can't wait to see you in the news one day. I'll see you on Thank CNN. <laughs> Prime time with Madison Garrett. I'm saying it now. Thank you. Of course. And before we conclude, you know, your journalistic ambitions, it's evident through the work that you've done with The Beacon. But I also heard they have a youth organization where young students are able to write about issues in their communities. Would you be able to talk about that? Absolutely. Follow Gen Z's voices on Instagram, Gen Z's voices. And yes, I was actually, I received the opportunity. I wrote an essay for an essay contest and the company, the nonprofit organization who read my essay, liked my presence so much and my writing so much that they decided to hire me mm. as a editor in chief. Yeah. So I founded and am the editor in chief of Gen Z's voices, which is a teen magazine centering social justice and civic engagement and essentially we have additions covering topics that just gen z experiences so for instance one of our latest additions is the school to prison pipeline mm -hmm. and so for all those who may be unfamiliar with the school to prison pipeline it's essentially 
Black children, children of color, children of low income are treated differently in schools. They're given harsher punishments. They're, get, they're deemed misbehaved a lot more often, suspended at a higher rate, exposed at a higher rate, all as a result of their skin color and socioeconomic background. And the point of journalism is to shed light on issues that are underrepresented, unheard. So for Gen Z's Voices, we do exactly that. And we had an addition covering the effects of the school to prison pipeline. We spoke about Beyond Scared Straight, the television show that shows a lot of Black students who are demisbehaved. And really, Gen Z's voices were all about just showing the social justice issues in our community that are not spoken about, simply. <laughs> so Gen Z's voices, make sure you follow. And we have a new edition coming out soon, but our most recent edition, of course, we're all about reform. So yes, we have an edition about the beauty of being black and oftentimes black children who, who shy away from the stereotype of what black means are ridiculed and deemed white or deemed as weird or different. And that's just simply ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So yes, Gentis <laughs> I know I go on a bit of a rant. Gen Z's Voices is Team Magazine that centers social justice and creating a change. Absolutely. What journalists are meant to do. Absolutely. Always going back to that notion of making a change. And, you know, for our viewers here or listeners, no matter if it's politics or STEM or art or business, the goal should be about change. It should be about how you're impacting the people next to you, the people around you. And a funny quote, well, not funny, but I thought that it was interesting that I found this quote before this call. It was said by Deja Fox in an IGTV video <laughs> that change making happens at every level of our lives, whether it's the way we treat people, the way we show up in the world, or the actions we take to make it better. Change making can encompass a lot of different things. And I think when you think of change making and you think of youth activists, you always think of that person that's on the streets, marching on the front lines with a microphone in their hands, screaming, fists right. in the air fighting for change. And a lot of the time that can be an activist, but an activist can also be a journalist. It can be someone who's at their computer typing an issue on, an, typing an issue on a subject matter that can break barriers. It can be a STEMinist or an engineer who's working to find an innovative way to solve a different problem. It could be an artist who's using their creative talent to depict the narratives of those who are historically silenced and marginalized. Advocacy can encompass so much. And I think that's why I'm so happy to have you on this call because you show how <laughs> multifaceted advocacy can be and how whether it's from hosting seminars or just by being a nice person, you can make a change no matter where you go, which is why it's so important for young people to tap into this and to tap into change making because we are the leaders that our world needs right now and in the future in order to build a better world for everyone, no matter what they look like. So right. that was a tangent. No, it's it's definitely needed. Tony Morrison, James Baldwin, there is much chain makers of Maka Max and Ronald Dick and Mega Others. It's it's as you said, you really said it perfectly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the last question that I have for you today before further thoughts is, you know, what advice do you have for young girls who want to lead? I would absolutely say use your voice. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what my college essay was about. <laughs> but you really have to use your voice. You have to find your voice and use it. And that your voice is all you have, no matter how squeaky, how high pitched, how annoying your older brother may say it is. Your voice is just so, 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 so important. 
because it's what makes you you and it what makes others hear you which may sound like simple enough like yes your voice is like others hear me but really it is if you go to a politician and you speak to him he'll hear you it's your voice everyone has a different voice everyone comes from a different background and has a different issue they're fighting for but if you write a letter to the white house or if you speak to a teacher saying um i think what you said to me was a microaggression or you talk to your friends and you educate them using your voice is really the most power you have in our society and even using your voice on the cell phone everything is the most power you have because it's your voice and it's your message absolutely and echoing on to that i think another thing that's so important is to be yourself and to be authentic you are here for a reason and you have a purpose that's specifically tailored to you that no one else i'm gonna say that one more time no one else can do so do look at other people who are in advocacy but don't try to mimic what they do or copy and paste because you have a specific purpose assigned to you so it shouldn't be about trying to outsmart this person next to me or to do more than a person to the right of me it should be what can i do with the talents and the abilities that i've been given to make a change in this world and with that you go running you go sprinting and you do what you know that you are meant to do with no hesitation no questions asked I know it, that's so important. And then especially again, in our society, it seems like everything has to be, I have to know my purpose right now. So mm-hmm. I can make a nonprofit organization and go right to Harvard. Yes. So <laughs> you can slow down. You don't have to have your purpose now. You don't have to have the, all the answers now. You don't need to know what you want to do with your life now. Everything takes time. Just exactly. find something that you love, dedicate some time to it. And then that's how you create change. Exactly. Everyone has their own timeline and their own schedule. You know, things happen when they're meant to be. So don't go rushing into something thinking, okay, now I got to do the nonprofit. Now I got to host an <laughs> event. Now I got to speak at the UN. It all comes yes. in the plan that's already been created for you. Right. Everyone wants to rush to make Forbes 30 under 30, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Of course. Well, that's all the questions that I have for you, unless you want to add anything else. What I like, I just want to add, I mean, we've really said, (laughs) to be honest, um, you really just have to be yourself and understand that God has a plan for you and everything takes time to happen. Success is not immediate. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Madison, for being on our first episode. I'm honored to be the first guest. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. It's still playing a couple of years when you're like a congresswoman or a senator and I'm like the news pastor this is going to play on inauguration day like a special clip absolutely (laughs) we're going to have the reunion episode it's going to be amazing (laughs) michelle obama is going to be here to interview us i know oprah winfrey is going to be in the court of saying black (laughs) but that concludes our first episode of her story everyone madison thank you so much for being here and make sure to tune in every wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time as we innovate recreate and rewrite the narrative together we will tell our story until then Have a good day. Bye.